I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, or chapter 2, excuse me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're continuing our series, Fan the Flame. Now, we're in a society that loves to argue, right? And we just love it. We take to a good argument. In fact, I still remember, uh, in fact, this week I found Monty Python had uh, the arguing clinic. You know, this guy paid some money and, and shows up because he wants to argue with somebody about something. And, uh, you know, so it didn't matter what the issue was. He just wanted a, a good argument. And I think, man, I think that's how we take in social media, that we have this, this uh, propensity to argue, and we can't wait for somebody to say something so we can jump on it and, and give our opinion, right? And, man, we go at it, and they go at it, and, and then they get mad and then we get mad and then they defriend us and we, you know we we've we've you know, we beat them to the punch you know so we feel proud of that and I just think you know that's where those things lead right arguments just lead to somehow disfriending one another it causes us to just pull away causes us to just not want to be a part of it causes us not to it doesn't change our opinion I mean, you think about that, a lot of times those kind of arguments, those kind of quarrels that where they're angry, where they end up in that kind of mode, end up in a place where we don't care what they say, and in fact, we don't care what they believe, and in fact, we want to find, we find ourselves disbelieving whatever it is they believed just for the sake of disbelieving what they believed, right? And we find ourselves not open at all, really, to the heart of God. What does he want me to think? What does he want me to believe about an issue? And I think that's why Paul begins to talk about the thing that he does here in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, remind them of these things, charge them before God, not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. And I was thinking, why does he start talking about that? I mean, because it says remind them of these things. So you go back and we think, okay, what was he talking about before that, that, could, that, that would maybe lead him to this point? And you, and you read that first section we talked about in chapter 1. And he's talking about fanning the flame, the gift of God. And so he wants us, and in fact the idea there we talked about that week was fan the flame again. It's like the flame is already there. It's already been burned once, but it burns up fuel. The fuel needs more fuel. It needs more fanning. We find ourselves hurt in ministry. We find ourselves hurt by people. And so we find ourselves pulling back and we just like, the heck with all of this. And God said, no, flame, put it to flame again. Remember the passion when you first came to Christ, when you first came to Jesus. I mean, think about that. Take a moment to just think when you first came to Christ. Now, for some of you, maybe it wasn't the experience that I had. When I first came to Christ, I was on fire for him. I mean, I was willing to talk to anybody at any, I mean, I, I found myself, I was at the University of Texas, a brand new student, and I would sit down at, at a dining room table, and it didn't matter who the guy was, I wanted to make the conversation, move toward a spiritual conversation, and share the gospel with them, share what I found, because it was good news, and I was excited about it. And the person might not sit with me again, but, you know, that's okay, I would, I'd go to the next guy, you know, there's plenty of people there. And, and then I found myself, I went home, did the same thing, I mean, I was just on fire for the Lord, and my Family wouldn't talk to me for about 10 years after that about spiritual things. And uh, they talked to me about other stuff, football or whatever. And, and, and I realized, you know, I was coming on like gangbusters. But, man, there was a passion. There was a fire there. And I hope and desire that fire never to go out, that fire to always be there, maybe to use a little more grace and understanding when I'm talking to people, but have that same passion, that same fire. And it co means constantly flaming it up. It means constantly blowing it, constantly working on it, because there's plenty of things that tear it out, that cause it to go out. 
And so he talks about that sharing and suffering. He talks about the things that we need to add. And one is faith and the other is the word of God. And so you look at the first chapter and you realize that's what he's saying. And then he says in chapter two, he says, not only did you don't keep this for yourself, the, the spiritual life is not intended to just to you, yourself, and, and the Holy Spirit. The, the, God designed the spiritual life that we're involved with other people, that we're involved in other people's lives, and that, that we're not only involved, we're intentionally involved. And that's why he goes on and says in chapter two, verse two, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's God's strategy for reaching the world. His strategy is, is that, that we reach into other people's lives and as we intentionally invest in people's lives and they come to Christ, pretty soon there's a need for the church and so then we create churches and the churches come about as a result of people's lives being changed, not creating an organization so that we can populate it. That's, that's, God wants us to... to um, to reach out and it's something that we all should do. It's not something that is just left for the clergy to do or, or certain people, it's for all of us. That we entrust the faithful people and that begins to spread out and it begins to, to grow larger uh, and, 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 and we reach the world, as I talked about, by multiplication in 20 years rather than by addition, uh, trying to just fill stadiums and, and, and finding out there's not even enough lifetimes for me, uh, 200 to 300 years to reach 8 billion people. And so we, we see, he's saying, that's the, the, the strategy, fan the flame, keep the spark alive, the gift that God has given you, and then do it with faith. Step in, faith is not just a passive thing, by the way. It's not something where you sit around, you know, it's, I believe, you know. No, it's, it's an active faith. It's, yeah, I believe, but I'm also going to live my life differently. I'm going to live my life in a, in a whole different manner of life. I'm going to be courageous as I step out. Because I believe, I'll step out and trust. Because I believe, I'll step out and share my faith with this person. Because I believe, I know that God wants me to do th certain things and I'll, I'll t even change direction in my life. It's an active faith. Faith isn't just this passive thing. And so we, we realize as we look at those things, we look at the gospel, and that's the very thing that he kind of concludes with here, where he says in chapter 2, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. A picture of, the, of, of baptism and of... of uh, of us uh, being buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. We have a baptism this, this, uh, this morning. Um, and uh, exciting uh, every time, every time, because somebody's already put their faith and trust in Christ. They already live with him. And this is the public expression of that. That what they've already done in private, we do in public. This is the press conference. And it's the opportunity for us to remember again, Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave. And a person is saved by simply believing in Jesus because he paid it all. If we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. And so there's a sense of overcoming and somehow that affects our, our, our reigning with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And I, I believe that's talking about the unbeliever. And he says, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. And I think, praise God for that because I'm never as faithful as I would like to be. And yet he is always faithful. And so we're supposed to be reminded of those things, reminded of what the basis of our faith is. The basis of my faith is, is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation is free. It's a free gift. It's given to those who simply believe on Jesus. And it's not dependent upon me and my works and how good I am because I'm not good enough. But then he says not to quarrel. So, and in fact, this whole section is about that because he says don't quarrel about 
words, which does no good, but runs the hearers. Notice how he ends this section at the end of the chapter in verse 24 through 26. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. In fact, in the very verse before in 23, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. And so this whole section is dealing with not quarreling. Notice that every time he says, don't do it, avoid it, stay away from it. I think, yeah, but in my Christian experience, that's what I've been taught to do. I've been taught to quarrel. I mean, I'm given ammunition, right? In fact, that's, isn't that what 2 Timothy 2.15 is talking about? That I present myself approved. I'm rightly handling accurate, uh, accurately the truth. And so I'm going to come to you and man, I'm going to handle it accurately with you, right? <laughs> and toward you and on you. And you're like, hey, enough already. I mean, that's what I did when I first came to Christ. There's a passion and man, I'm, I'm going to bring the accurate handling, right? And you're going you're gonna to be submitted to that accurate handling, right? It's just going to push you away. You're going to defriend me. You're going you're gonna to block me. You're going to whatever. And you may not have a button to push relationally, but you're going to pull away. And we wonder why the world pulls away from us. And I think as Christians, we're taught to quarrel. We're taught to go after a good controversy. We're taught that, man, you, you know the scriptures and now you go after it and you, get, you find somebody and, man, you lay the wood on them. I mean, that's the way I was taught. I, was, I came up in a campus Christian ministry and, and man, I could, I could quarrel with the best of them. I mean, I can answer questions. I can give you apologetics. I, I went to seminary, so I get even better at it. <laughs> and then I disciple, you know, the church family to, to be better at it too. And, then, and the other churches do the same. And I think, wait a minute. Somehow we're missing something here if that's our goal. Because what it does is it ruins the hearers. It ruins the hearers. Who are those hearers that are being ruined? Some of those hearers are in their own home. Right? Our children, our spouses, our friends, apartment mates. Some of the ruined hearers. Some of those ruined hearers are on our social media sites and, and, and they defriend us and they put us, they're put off and they don't want to hear from us again. And I think, wow, but aren't I supposed to speak the truth? Isn't that why I study 2 Timothy 2.15? So I know God's word. I want to really know it so I can drill it down. And so Paul is saying, you know, whenever, whenever you do the 2 Timothy 2.2 thing, don't think that what we're talking about here is just academic. Don't think that what we're teaching you about theology and deep theology, and, it's, and I'm not putting that down at all. We want to rightly handle the word. Uh, we should be learners. We should be the best learners around. But we don't do it in order to quarrel with one another. We don't do it in order to criticize other people around us. And I think we, we've gotten really good at that. And I... And I I realized one day, I began to ask myself the question, am I training people in godliness or am I just making them more arrogant as, as people? Are our disciples, are we as disciples just arrogant? Are we, are we just know-it-alls? Are we, are we humble and we, are we handling the word of God? When it says handling it accurately, it says approved. That idea of approval is approval in fire. It's the idea of take, testing, taking a metal and flaming it up, getting the fire hot, and then, then and it proving that whether it has any kind of dross or impurities in it or how pure it is. 
And so it's not talking about just academics. It's not just talking about knowing intellectually the, the word of God. It's talking about it's living, it's, it's being burned into my life. It's part of me. That I don't just memorize a verse and be able to quote it off uh, at your expense and say, oh, well, here's where you're messing up and here's where you're messing up. And No, I don't, that's not why I do it. I study the word of God and then I begin to pray, God, burn this into my life. We don't want to pray that prayer, do we? <laughs> no, Lord, it's okay. I, I know the word. I'll just be content with knowing the word. I really don't want it burned into my life. And God's going, no, I want to burn it into your life. Just give me the word. Let me do it. And I'm going to do it even in spite of whether you let me do it sometimes or not. I'm going to go ahead and give you patience even though you've stopped praying for patience. <laughs> God wants to change us and transform us to be like his son. And so I think if that's going to be the case, then I need to, to realize that it's not about learning the word so that I can argue better than you. I remember in, in, uh, at Dallas Seminary, some of my favorite times were sitting in a student center with a table of other guys and just talking about the theology we were learning. Man, that was so much fun. They would say, well, this class, we talked about this. Yeah, but what about this? This was a question I had when he was saying that. He said, yeah, well, I had that question too. And here's what I was thinking. Is, well, here's what I was thinking. And, and then, well, what about, you know, the scripture, this passage says this. And, and, and so then you were pulling all these things together. And my heart was on fire. It was so much fun. And then some guy would sit at the table and he would just start arguing a certain point and pushing a certain point. And if you watched very long, you saw everybody one by one kind of get up and kind of, they had other things to do. That, oh, I'm sorry, I'm out of time. I got, got to go to class. They were already 15 minutes late for class every other day, but that day they, 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 they were ready to get to class on time. They didn't want to be a part of that argument. They didn't want to be a part of that. And I think, how many times do we do that with the people that we're around, our friends or, or our family, and, and we just, we're pushing the point, man. We're, we're driving it home and we're quarreling. And he's saying, don't do that. The goal isn't to build arrogance. The goal is to build disciples who are humble, loving, caring, gentle. How do I know that? Because look what he says in verse 24. He tells us some of the things that we need to pursue. Uh, in, or, and he tells us to pursue up in verse 22, but he tells us some things we, he wants us to have. He says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Now, when you're getting ready to push that post or send, do you ever ask yourself the question, is this kind? <laughs> Convicting, isn't it? We probably should ask that question before we hit send. In fact, I would encourage you to put, is this kind, and put it up on your monitor, uh, right where you do your, or your social media. Maybe you need to stick it to your phone or something where it just says, is this going to be kind? Because Colossians 4 uh, 26, if you go back and look at that, it tells us uh, what kind of speech uh, we're supposed to have toward others around us. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And each person in social media and each person in your family and each person, and it's got to be gracious. And if it's not gracious, we should bite our tongue. We should say, no, I'm not going to say that. No matter how good a zinger it's going to be, no matter how good it's going to feel to let it out, right? Because, man, I get, to, I get to put it on you. 
You know, and then like McGregor, you know, you're kind of, you know, doing the, doing the walk after you've kind of made the, the comment, right? Because here it goes, man. You got the comment. You got it. And, that, and they're all kind of, and, and, and you just destroyed somebody. And you think, wow. And yet we take pride in that. And what does he say? He says, be kind to everyone. Able to teach. So it's not like you're avoiding truth. It's not like you're stepping away and not saying the, the, maybe the hard thing that needs to be said. But you're patient, patiently enduring evil. Patiently enduring it. That somebody's treating you wrongly, maybe even evilly, and you're patient and you're long-suffering. We have a God who's long-suffering. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. That you're gentle in what your words are. That we speak to one another gently. And I think, yeah, but it may not drive the point home. They may not get it. I had a professor who said, the person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. So, yeah, I've driven the point home. Did it go home? No. They just defriended. They just pushed away. They didn't want anything to do with it. So I didn't change anybody's thinking. So why did I speak? I just wasted my time and their time by trying to press something that I have no right to press. Because if I truly believe my theology that every person is made in the image of God, if I truly believe that, then am I going to treat people with the respect that that deserves? Or am I going to treat them poorly? I should treat every single person on the planet, no matter whether I agree with them or not, with great respect, which means that I seek to understand rather than to be understood. And what I have found is, is that when we seek to understand, it builds relationship. And when you have relationship, they're more willing to listen to what you have to say. Not that you use it for that reason. You're not trying to fabricate a relationship so that you can speak truth. You build a genuine relationship. You build that relationship. I think that's why... God instructs men in, in 1 Peter 3, 7 to live with your wife in an understanding way. That we seek to understand rather than to be understood. And that as we seek to understand, as we seek and ask questions, and we're gentle with a person, and we, and we say, you know, you said such and such. Do you mean this or do you mean that? You know, I had a conversation with somebody at a birthday party recently. I didn't expect this conversation to turn the way that it did. I didn't even know the person. And I don't think they knew what I did for a living, that I was a pastor. And, and for, but some reason, they, they brought up that they thought that God created evil. And I said, uh, I said well, you know, that's, that's, a, that's interesting. You know, I said, I don't, I don't think that he did. And they said, well, why? And I said, well, let me explain. And, and, and so we talked about that, that, you know, I, I didn't believe evil was a thing. They said, God created all things. Evil's a thing. And therefore, God created evil. And I said, evil's not a thing. They go, what? Evil's a wrong relationship between things. You take a good knife and it puts a, that you would use for a good purpose and you put your good hand on it and put it in another person's good body, that's a bad relationship between good things. God created all the good things. And so evil's not a thing. It's a bad relationship between good things. And it was kind of interesting and she was kind of, uh, she was kind of pushing it away a little bit but kind of, you know, thinking about it and I just, I just, you know, I didn't feel the need to press the point home. Why? Because of this next part. 
that God may perhaps grant them repentance. Wait a minute, who's, who's granting the repentance? God may grant them repentance. Is it up to me to make the repentance happen? That God may grant them repentance. That is so freeing whenever you just have this opportunity for a short conversation. I don't know where that goes. I hope that it leads that person in a way that begins to see truth as truth. But I spoke the truth. I did it in a loving fashion. And now I'm trusting the spirit of God to drive the point home. I don't need to drive the point home. That's incredibly freeing. To realize, you know, God for 2,000 years uh, within the church and a lot longer hasn't really needed Greg Buckles to drive the point home. You know? He hasn't, he hasn't kind of brought me along and, as his advisor, you know, to, to help Moses or Abraham or any of those guys. He did perfectly fine without me. And so he simply says, here's what I need you to do. And I need to go about and do what he asked me to do. And what he asked me to do is don't be quarrelsome. Know the truth. Be approved but do it with kindness, do it with, with patience, with long-suffering, with gentleness, and yet you're still speaking truth. You're still in the sense of correcting. You're still in the sense of teaching. And that becomes part of who we are. You see, I believe that the word of God is intended not to just be something that I teach. It's supposed to tra- transform lives. It's not just something that I believe. It's supposed to change me somehow. And make me different so that I'm no longer the old Greg Buckles, that I'm a new Greg Buckles. I live in a newness of life that I've never lived in before. And in fact, you see that as you talk about it when he says, remind them of these things. Verse 14, to fan the flame, faith, teaching the word of God, understanding his word, understanding the gospel, discipling others, and not to be arrogant, but discipling others to be, have a humility about them. In fact, he talks about this idea of quarreling in chapter, uh, in 1 Timothy, right at the very end of the book. And so you can just flip over a page and, and you're right into 1 Timothy. And he says, teach and urge these things. And then he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. You see, teaching is supposed to accord with godliness. It's not just about teaching all by itself. Teaching is a, as, a, as a solo pursuit, as a silo. It's that that teaching is supposed to accord with godliness. If it's not leading me to godliness, then something's wrong. And in fact, if it's not leading to godliness, what does it lead to? He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Knowledge builds up, I mean puffs up, as Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, love builds up. It's supposed to be both. If it's knowledge by itself, it only puffs me up. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words. So he's talking about that same idea, that same thing, that it's not supposed to be quarreling. It's supposed to be a changed life. It's a changed life that changes other lives. It's not just somebody who says, oh, that's where it is. It's Here's what God has done. Here's how Jesus has changed me. He goes on and says, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And what is this irreverent babble? I think it's theological conversations that are misguided because he says, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. I think, why does he keep mentioning people by name? He does that a lot in these books to Timothy. And I think, well, it was a, these were personal letters and they weren't necessarily originally intended for a uh, uh, group. Com- so I don't know if he would have mentioned these names or not, but he felt he, uh, safe to do so. He said, they swerve from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. 
And he's saying they're theologically off, and that's what makes me think this is theological conversations. They're theological conversations that, that are just that are that are not based in, into rightly handling the word of truth. That rightly handling that phrase has the idea of a straight furrow. It has the idea that a, a farmer uh, plowing straight has the idea of a seamstress seeming uh, se- seeming straight. That sounds. Doesn't sound right. Uh, of, a, of a guy that's a pilot in a ship that's got, that's got a straight course and he's going to where he's supposed to go. And so it's this idea that, that that's, where they're, that's where it's headed. And, he's, and he's, so he says, they've swerved from the truth. And so we're supposed to be those who, who understand God's word, who study his word, who, who understand it well. But we don't understand it well so that we can argue it. We understand it well so that we have opportunities we can speak those little snippets of truth whenever they're appropriate and whenever we have opportunity. And then he says in verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. I don't have to know that completely. But the Lord knows. I don't know everybody's heart. Somebody could be fooling me. The Lord knows. The Lord knows what you've done. Why does he say that? Because it's God's foundation that's firm in your life. It's not me quarreling with you. It's not me arguing you into a position or that position. It's you responding to the simple gospel message that Christ died for your sins, rose from the grave, person saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That your faith is in him. It's a free gift that's given to you, that's offered to you if you haven't accepted it yet. Always there, always being offered. And it's God's firm foundation. That's what makes my position in Christ firm. I think so many times that we think, hey, if somebody says something wrong, and man, I don't jump on it, and I don't say something about it right away, and hard, and, and fast, and, and, and with great defense, then somehow I'm, I'm slipping on my responsibility. It's like, no. God knows who those who are his. He knows who he's drawing to himself. And he asked me to do certain things. And what he asked me to do is know the truth well. To believe it and have it lived out in my life. And then to share it with others with gentleness and with grace and with compassion and with understanding and with patience and with long-suffering. And as I begin to do that, the world becomes interested and they're no longer hitting you know, defriend or hide or whatever in my life. They're interested in what I have to say and it becomes these conversations with believers or unbelievers that are engaging, that are fun to have. They walk away, their heart's on fire, just like my heart's on fire whenever I'm dialoguing with people about the word of God and I come away and, man, I think, wow, that was fun. I had that discussion with an atheist at a, at a Christmas party and after the discussion, I heard him say, man, that was fun. I want, I want to talk to him again. We had some great conversation. It was deep. It was rich. I didn't back off of anything. But I did it with grace. And I think, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I did that. And I took that approach. Because he's still interested and wants to know. Then he says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. In the verse 20, he says, now in a great house... I think, why is he talking about this great house all of a sudden? He's talking about usefulness in, 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 in this in, in, as, a, as a, an evangelist, as a discipler. Uh, he says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. 
Uh, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. And I was thinking, well, yeah, I, have, I, don't, I don't know about you. I don't have the gold and silver vessels in my house. Um, uh, those, uh, the, those never have showed up. I've been kind of reading this and thinking, okay, where are mine? Uh, well, they may be at somebody else's house, but they're not at mine. And I was thinking, why does he use this illustration? Because a lot of times when they would have church, they would have it at some of the larger homes in the community that had come to Christ, right? Because they'd need more space. They couldn't do it in some of the smaller homes. And so they'd meet in some of the larger homes. Well, they would have gold and silver vessels. They'd have stone vessels, which were seen as, as, as pure vessels that you could put stuff in and retain their purity. Clay vessels that... Clay vessels would absorb sometimes the stuff that you poured in them. You poured wine in them and they would have that, you know, we would call it seasoning. Oh yeah, it's a seasoned vessel. You know, my, my uh, cast iron, it's seasoned. You don't want to wash it with soap and water. Well, but in their day, that would be an unclean vessel. And so sometimes they would shatter it and not use it for a second use. But the stone vessels and the metal cups, those would, be, would have a, a special value. And so he's talking about that and, and they would... As they're sitting in church, I'm sure they saw some of these vessels in that person's home. And so he was using an illustration right out of what they had seen. And he says, you have these different vessels, and we have vessels, different vessels. Ours are usually plastic and, and uh, you know, uh, 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 whatever. And, and so you think about these different vessels we have in our home, and I have trash in one. You know, it's a good vessel. I use it for trash. I need a trash can, right? And I have a toilet and I need a toilet and it's used for, and those are the unseasonable or unseemly uses, right? The ones that are, uh, uh, what's the term that he uses here? Uh, dishonorable use. And so, and then you have honorable use uh, vessels and those you have in your cabinets and your, your drinking glasses and such. And even if you have a good drinking glass, maybe your favorite one, it's got milk kind of, you know, crusty in the bottom from somebody else's use. Probably not going to choose that one, right? And I think God's no different. And so is somehow the way that I'm used by the Lord dependent on my, how I live my life, how I trust him? I know that my salvation is not dependent on that. My approval by him is not dependent on that. But maybe my usefulness, how I'm used. If I'm a dirty vessel, well, he can use me for a trash can. That's a good godly use, uh, and, you know. But I think, is that all I, he has in store for me? Maybe as I grow in Christ, he has something more that he would like to give me. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from that which is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So somehow, what I do is involved in that process. And so what do I do? He tells us in verse 22, flee youthful passions. Don't let passions be the thing that drive you. Don't let your jealousies be the thing. Don't let your anger be the thing. Don't let your, your, your lust be the thing. Don't let anything that you are, are, that your emotions and your passions, don't let those be the things that drive you in this life. Because they won't always drive you in a healthy direction. It's not bad to have some of those things. But those passions are not our leader. They are the ones that follow what do we pursue then? He says, here's what to flee, flee that. Avoid that. What do you pursue? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. So my pure heart grows as I begin to do those four things. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Righteousness, I read God's word. I rightly handle the word of God. I study it. I want to know it well. I want to know it better than anybody else so that I know how to step rightly in my life and not just know the word, live it, that it's becoming burned into my life. Faith, 
Faith is not just sitting quietly. It's not passive. There is a passive side to faith that I just believe in the simple message. But there's an active side of faith that because I believe in Jesus, it should change my life. It should make me take courageous steps into directions that I'm uncomfortable with at first. Because I believe that's where God wants me to move. When I first came to Mansfield to start this church, I was, I was exercising faith and I was scared to death. Because I didn't know, God, are you going to bless this? Is it not going to happen? Is it going to happen? I'm taking my family down here. Am I going to be able to provide for them? Am I going to get to the end of a year and have no money left and no prospects and nothing and have wasted a year of my life? That's the, the risk. It's faith. It's love. Love's not passive, it's active. It's stepping out and, and reaching out to other people. Peace. That I'm a peacemaker. That I'm someone who seeks to make peace. Peace between people and God by helping them to see the simple gospel message. Like Romans 5.1 talks about. That we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace among people. People that are at odds with each other. Get together with that person. Resolve that. As we become peacemakers, it changes us and makes us different. And so when I look at this passage, I think God wants us to be those who are fanning the flame and then we're passing that fan flame onto other people and then getting that spark going, kind of like the old 70s song, right? That spark that keeps a fire going. And then he wants me to make sure that me and the people that I'm investing in don't become these arrogant people that are very knowledgeable in life, but really have no Christian Christianity living in them, don't have Christ being formed in them, that we just become academic. We've got to go beyond that and live the life that God has intended for us. And as we begin to do it, and we're on fire for the Lord, guess what? The people around us are going to be influenced by that. And they're going to be interested, either turned off or interested, because they're going to say, there's some reality here. There's a lot of other people who can talk a good game, but I'm seeing it lived out in your life, and I want to know, I want to see what it is that you have. Father, we come to you this morning, and we pray that we would be the real deal, that we would be those who, who live out the Christian life and don't just argue with it, people about it. Christian life, Father, I pray that we wouldn't be just the best arguers in town. And that's what we'd be known for. You, you said that the new commandment you give us that we love one another and that that would be our calling card is our love for one another. That's when people would recognize we've been with Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those who speak the truth in love. I pray that you would help us to be those who are kind and respectful and, and, and recognize the image of God in other people and, and, and treat, if nothing, no other reason, for that reason, then with respect. That we would seek to understand more than to, to be understood. And Father, that we would let you do the work of the convicting and changing and transforming of life and you would allow us to just speak truth. Father, I pray that you would guide us in that. Help us in that. Because we're not, we're not very good at that. We, we, hear, we get some knowledge together. Man, we're, we're ready to, to, to trot with that stuff. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise, to be gracious, 
to be loving, to be gentle, to be caring, to be compassionate. And as we are, Lord, I pray that you would open up doors, wide open doors for us to speak truth in such a way that causes people's hearts to be set on fire, not because we did it, but because your spirit's working. And Lord, I pray that you would make a difference. Start with us, Lord. Help us to bite our tongues, to not uh, push, send, or post, or whatever. If it's going to be unkind, if it's going to be ungracious. Father, with one another, help us. With those in our families, help us. Father, I know that there's probably need for, for some confession among family members because they've been quarrelsome rather than kind and gentle with one another. I pray that that would happen this week. pray that that would happen today. Lord, I pray that you would use this message to draw hearts together, draw hearts back to you, to draw hearts to Jesus that we wouldn't just become smarter sinners or more academic Christians. We would become humble, godly people who just love you and want to make a difference in the world in which we've been planted. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I accepted Christ by praying for, for him to be in my heart.
I won't be baptized because I, I knew that being sinning was a bad thing, so I won't accept God into our heart. I love these times of baptism where we think about the fact that that we do so not in order to be saved. We do so because we are already saved. And so Jeremiah is going to get baptized today because he's already saved. He's already a child of God. And he wants the church family to know about that. And so this is that time of public press conference, this time where, uh, for the believer where it's, it's to, to let people know this incredible step of faith that he's taken toward Jesus and we're excited about. And so Jeremiah Raychek, because of your faith in Christ Jesus and your desire to follow him as Lord, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Father, we come to you and we just thank you for this time of celebration where we celebrate with our brother in Christ his salvation, that he put his faith in Jesus and and you received him as your child. Lord, I'm just so thrilled. Every time I see the change in a person's heart, a change in their belief from unbelief to belief, from not yet believing to believing. Lord, I'm so excited about that because that's a work that you've done. We've just seen your hand at work as we see the confession of his faith in Jesus. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. And we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.